Amen. I'm hoping Brother Paul reads that and gets saved, don't you? Wouldn't that be great? Wow. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Welcome, sleepyheads. It's good to have you here. Slept in a little bit this morning, didn't you? Huh? The first crowd was here bright and early, and I want to tell you, they were sound asleep most of the time they were here. So I hope you're awake and ready to go. Now, for those of you that don't know, I was uh, born and raised here in Simcoe. I lived um, most of my life here, 18 years of my life, first 18 years. Uh, I was uh, born in Simcoe General Hospital. I went to North Public School. I went to uh, Elgin Avenue School. I went to Simcoe Composite School, and I graduated from uh, Bethel Baptist Academy in grade 12. And uh, I started coming to Bethel Baptist Church 50 years ago. 50 years ago. That makes me officially old. 50 years ago. I was seven years old when I first started coming to this church. My uncle Ray Stone, who was a preacher up in Kitchener, he's a deacon at the church here, assistant pastor for many years. Um, he started picking my sister and I up when we were seven and bringing us to church. When I was nine years of age, I got saved. Pastor Strachan and my uncle Ray came to my grandma uh, Christie's house, Edith Christie. Some of you remember her. And uh, they led both of us to Jesus Christ. I got baptized at 154 Maple Street and uh, came all the way through the ranks of uh, Sunday school and uh, junior church and youth department and all those things. Went to college here, graduated from the college and uh, went to work in Cleveland, Ohio with my father-in-law, Dr. Roy Thompson, at the Great Cleveland Baptist Church. Church ran about 2,500 when I was there, 3,000 on big days. It was a great learning experience. And then God called me back to St. Thomas, one hour away. Growing up as a kid, St. Thomas was pretty famous. And some of you from that era would remember what it was famous for. St. Thomas was home to the largest psychiatric hospital in Canada. How many of you remember that? That's because they've been there, all right? They remember because they went. When I was a kid, if you were bad and that kind of goofy, they'd say, you better stop or they're going to send you to St. Thomas. Well, that's where I ended up. So that should tell you something. I pastored the Bible Baptist Church for 30 years, 30 years. I started when I was nine and uh, 30 years later, 30, no, I started when I was 25 and uh, just turned the church over. So that was great. So good crowd, but not a real amen crowd this morning, kind of quiet. I hope that you'll do better than that. All right. I remember Bethel Baptist Church as an amen church. Would you say amen this morning? Amen. Uh, that's that's kind of weak. It's kind of weak. You remind me of a time when I went to a preacher's meeting here in Canada. We had a preacher that came over from the States and we've had many of the 300 independent Baptist churches we have. I would say that probably 75, 85 percent of them are pastored by American men. And we praise the Lord that they've come to help in our country. But I'm proud to tell you that I'm Canadian. I was Canadian born and Canadian bred. And when I die, I'll be Canadian dead. And um, I went to a preacher's meeting. And this preacher was invited to preach. He'd only been here a little while. And he got up and he started talking about uh, black-eyed peas. He said, how many of you ever had black-eyed peas? Well, I'd never heard of a black-eyed pea in my life. We don't have black-eyed peas in Canada. We have green peas. That's all we have. And talking about black-eyed peas, how many of you have black-eyed peas? Amen. Nobody said a word. He said, oh, man, if you haven't had black-eyed peas, you're not saved, bless God. How many of you ever had okra? I've never had okra. Brother Jimmy's had okra. He, he loves okra. He's an okra kind of guy. He likes boiled peanuts, okra. He likes, uh, what's, that, what's that other stuff called? Um, grits. He likes grits. Um, I took some guys to the States one time and I said, hey, you guys want some grits? And one of my guys said, I'll have one. Now, if you don't know what grits are, it's like, it's like uh, uh, what is that stuff? Uh, cream of wheat. Cream of wheat. All right. So I got off story. So the preacher, he's talking about you know, okra. How many of you had okra? Bless God. If you haven't had okra, you haven't been saved. Amen. Nobody says amen. 
He goes, so what's wrong with you Canadians? Don't you know how to say amen? And right then he lost the whole Canadian crowd. Well, you need to say amen. You get excited about God's amen. Amen. So he got done and I preached next. Now, I was still a pretty young preacher, still pretty brazen, you know, a little bold. I've not lost any of that. But uh, so I felt kind of bad for the guy. So I got some props and I got up and I said, uh, brother, I said, I want to help you today. I said, I noticed that you were struggling for an amen today. I said, I want to help you with that. I said, uh, the problem is you just don't know the culture yet. You've come to Canada, but you don't realize that we're a different culture. I said, we don't know what black eyed peas and how many grits. That was the other one. How many grits and, and uh, okra and all. We, we don't know what that is. I said, in Canada, if you want to get an amen, this is what you do. And I pulled out a, uh, a uh, hockey stick. And I said, it's hockey night in Canada. And everybody said, I said, but if you really want to get an amen in an independent fundamental Baptist church in Canada, this is what you do. And I pulled out and I had a Canadian flag and I said, the Maple Leaf forever. And the crowd said, a little louder than that, they said it. All right, let's try that again. The Maple Leaf forever. There you go. There you go. God bless you. You're going to get a dollar after the service. And then I said, brother, if you really want to get an amen in an independent fundamental Bible map church, this is what you do. And I pulled out a Tim Hortons cup and I said, it's Tim time. And all the crowd said, there you go. So there you go. So if you're good this morning, I'll get you out early and we can have coffee and you can buy. How about that? We'll make that a deal. All right. I want to say, Brother Creever, God bless you. Thank you for that great example this morning that you gave. But I want to tell you, Brother Cody's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Anybody else notice that besides me? He put the fob for his remote on the key ring. So now he can't find any of it. Uh, he can't find his keys or the remote for the GPS. So he's lost that. So we'll work with him. Mary Lormer was mentioned this morning. And uh, how many of you had Mary Lormer for a Sunday school teacher? Anybody? Anybody besides me? Mary Lormer? She's, you never did. Uh, this young man is telling a story right here in church. If you did, wow. Mary Lormer was 88 years old. And Mary Lormer was my Sunday school teacher. I think it was grade three and four, right in around that range. And she was a sweet lady, single lady. Um, she was very quiet and meek and mild, but boy, she loved her class. She loved the kids. And so she taught my Sunday school class. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that she's with the Lord. She loved the Lord. She served the Lord her, her whole life. She got married a little bit later in life. She was married just a few years and her husband passed away. So she lived most of her life as a single lady. But she was a God lady. Always came in, always had those little hats on as referred to. You can always spot her in the crowd, her little hat. She had a little walker. And a pastor actually called and told me the other day that she had passed away. And I said, well, I'll make mention of her in the service. And, and he said this, he said, could you imagine all the people that Mary Lormer has influenced? Preachers, missionaries, you know, deacons, other people in the church. And she, I'm sure the numbers in the hundreds, if not thousands of people that she's influenced. If you're a Sunday school teacher today, you have an influence over a lot of people. You say, well, I just have this little class. But if in that little class there's a preacher boy and that preacher boy begins to preach the gospel and people start getting saved, you have part of that in your reward system. And I believe one day, I hope and pray, I don't know if it will or not, but I hope the Lord allows us to have people stand in heaven and say, how many people are influenced by Mary Lormer and see the numbers of people? I think we'll be amazed at the numbers of people that are, were influenced by a quiet little lady, even more than maybe some big name preachers. They just did what God told them to do and God used that. And so I began to think of some of the influence that I had in my life. Some of the people that I've worked with and tried to help over these years. And I, I thought of some people. I thought of Rob Judge. How many of you know Rob? 
How many of you still like Rob? A couple of you. Good. Okay, good. His family, his family. Rob Judge, when I was a kid, I was, uh, come, I came back to St. Thomas at 25. And uh, at that time, the Cleveland Baptist Church said that they would give me one year support. They would give me my salary for one year. When I came back to St. Thomas 32 years ago, my salary was $10,000 a year. That was it, $10,000. And so uh, that got me by in the States. That wasn't too bad. I, I was able to do it. But here in Canada, gas was more, milk was more, uh, chicken and pork was more, you know, all those things. And so it, we had a kind of a tough time. So I needed a, a, a couple days work just to kind of get by. And so uh, I contacted the judges because I'd worked for them as a teenager. And I said, hey, is there any way you could help me? And they said, well, all right, we'll give you a job. So I went back and they, they helped me a couple days of the week. So that was awesome. But when I was in college, I worked on Judge's Chicken Farm, where Rob and Judy live now. And they had a beautiful pool there. Do you still have the pool? Do you still have the pool there? Took the pool out? I know why. I'll tell you in a minute. Um, had a beautiful pool there. And Phil Clayton and I, and Phil's scheduled to be here in November. I hope he can come for the anniversary. Phil Clayton and I worked at that chicken farm together after classes. And so we go out there. And Rob, at that time, was probably, I don't know, 9, 10 years of age, something like that, right around that age, maybe a little bit older. And so Phil and I were in college, you know, and we were the big shots. And so we go out there. And after we were done working, they, they would allow us to, you know, shower off. And then we would jump in the pool and we'd swim in the pool. Well, Rob wanted to hang around us. And so I tried to influence Rob and help him. And, you know, at that age, he was, he was kind of mouthy. i got to be honest with you. He's not, it's not like that now, but he was kind of mouthy as a kid. And I think that's really the influence I had in his life. But he was a smart aleck, you know. He'd smart off. And he was always trying to, you know, get at Phil and I. So one day, Phil and I grabbed hold of him, and we put him in the pool repeatedly. He'd say something. We'd put him under the water. He'd come up. Boop, 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 you guys are jerks. Put him under the water. Poop, 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 poop. I'm going to get you. Put him under the water. We just about drowned the poor kid. But today, isn't he a nicer, gentler guy because of that? I think we really helped him. I, I think of guys like Gerald Ronson. I've really helped Gerald. Gerald came to our church years ago. Uh, I was here um, when Ronson's first got saved uh, that many years ago. I remember announcing that they got saved. And then they had a little boy that passed away, Blair. He was only five or six years old. He got whooping cough. And he passed away and they asked me to be a pallbearer in his funeral. I'll never forget that. I was honored. I was about 13 years of age. And they said, Brother Stone, we'd hope that if Blair had grown up, he maybe would have had a heart for the Lord like you have. Man, I was so honored by that. And so a few years later, they came to our church. And I was so glad to have them. Oh, man, they're great people. And so they came for several weeks and several months and never joined the church. And I said, Sandra and Gerald, why haven't you joined the church yet? And they said, Preacher, we love the church and we love you, but we just can't see, stop seeing you as a 13-year-old boy every time you get up to preach. So I tried to help them with that and sent them home back here to Simcoe where they could go to church here. Tried to influence them. And then Bob Simmons. How many of you know Bobby? Oh, boy. If you know Bob Simmons, your life is richly blessed, isn't it? Bob's a great guy. If you don't know Bobby Simmons, you need to get to know him. He's a great guy. I've known him since I was just a little boy and his family. I used to babysit his girls years ago as a teenager so they could go out and go to church activities and stuff. And Bob Simmons is quite a guy. He's a, he's a joker. He's a big time joker. And I remember helping Bob, you know, uh, he lived a pretty wild life and, and he ran around with wild women and I tried to help him, but he ended up marrying that wild woman. 
And now he's married to her today, Donna. So uh, had that influence in some of those people's lives. I don't think it really worked, but I'll keep trying. But uh, some influence that I've had, and I'll keep trying over these years. Would you take your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 3 this morning? Daniel chapter 3. While you're turning there, let me say this. It is an honor for me to be here. It's an honor that your pastor would ask me. I love him. He's one of my dearest friends. Um, Every preacher needs a good preacher friend. And... uh, He's my friend, and I appreciate him and love him for that. He's been a faithful supporter of our ministry. Folks, your church has been a part of Bearing Precious Seed from the beginning. You've been a part of the Canadian Gospel Project and trying to reach our nation with the gospel. Uh, This coming week, we will finish off Ontario, and we will be closing in on the 9 millionth John and Romans that we have done. 13 million homes in Canada. By the time we finish, it'll probably be closer to 14 million. But 13 million when we started, we're coming up on our 9 millionth. We're two-thirds of the way done. And because of the help of this church, we've been able to see many saved and many lives changed. And we thank you for that. Now, let me say this. If you'll give me the next 30 minutes of your undivided attention, you say, yeah, right, 30 minutes. I want you to know that I finished at 9.31 this morning. I started uh, uh, 30 minutes before that, 30 minutes. If you'll give me 30 minutes of your undivided attention, I believe this message will change your prayer life, will change your Christian life forever. I believe it'll change your outlook on every difficult situation that you must deal with. Now, all of you are going to face some kind of hardship. There are some young people here today. We have some teenagers here today. You are going to face some difficult situations in your life. You might say right now, what situations would that be? We have some children here today. And they might say, what, what kind of difficult situation am I going to face? You are going to face some kind of difficult situation in your life. It may come as a child, as a teenager, as a young married couple, as a middle-aged person, or as a senior. You are going to face some difficulty. And this passage this morning, and this message this morning, will help you through those very difficult times that you will face. I believe it will give you a source of strength and power like you've never known. I hope to change all that with just three words. Listen carefully. You're going to repeat it many times today. And I would get you to respond with me today. If you'll help me today, that'll help me. Three words that I'm going to get you to repeat a number of times. Those three words are this. But if not. Would you say those three words with me? But if not. Everybody nice and loud. Here we go. But if not. Those three words are going to change your life today. Those three words are going to change the way that you look at God, the way you look at what he does, the way you pray to him, and how God responds to that prayer. But if not. One more time, nice and strong. But if not. I hope to change all of these things today. How many of us have prayed asking, believing that God is going to answer one way and almost the complete opposite happens? Oh, Lord, I pray that my mother would be healed and come out of this hospital. And she passes away. Oh, Lord, I pray for my child that's, that's struggling and, and hurting. And, and God, I pray that they would come and be right. And almost the complete opposite happens. Oh, God, I need a job and I'm praying for this job. It'd be great money. And I believe this would be the great job. And God, I pray that you give me this job. And you don't get that job. Oh, God, I'm praying today that that you'll supply my financial need and and I'm hurting and I want to come through this difficult time. And it just doesn't seem to end. And you wonder, what in the world's going on? Is God even hearing my prayers? 
Does God even know I exist? Maybe some would go so far to say, is there a God? Or how many of us thought God was going to bless when in reality it seems we're almost cursed? Almost cursed. I I thought things were going to go good and they're going bad. I I thought I was going to take this path and I'm doing this one. Or I look at the lives of others and the Bible says, be careful about comparing yourself among yourselves. I I thought life was going to be good and I'd have good health. And I'd live my whole life and... I'd raise my kids and I'd have a retirement and my wife and I would travel and, 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 and we'd have grandkids. And then that sickness comes. That cancer comes. And it really messes things up. And you think, Lord, I've been faithful. I go to church. I tithe. I sing in the choir. I, I pass out masks. I, I, I greet people. I teach a Sunday school class. And God, I thought that life was going to be all uh, roses and, and a bowl of cherries and things were going to be great. And here I am in the midst of great hardship. And we wonder, what in the world's going on? And in both situations, it's left us confused. God, I, I fought. God, I prayed for. God, I've given you. And I'm confused. Some get troubled. Trouble. I've seen people get troubled. I'm getting bitter. I'm getting discouraged. I'm getting distraught, I've heard people say over the last few months. I've heard people say, I've got questions and concerns about this Christianity. We've got questions and concerns about God and prayer. And why do we pray? If God knows everything, why do we pray anyways? Because God told us to. Because prayer is not about God. Prayer is about us. Prayer is about us going to God and, and openly reasoning with him our concerns. And God having the ability through the Holy Spirit and through the Bible and through preaching to say, Hey, listen, sometimes you think this is best, but i got to let you know, I know better. That's what prayer is. And that's what we'll see here today. Some maybe even get angry at God. Ever got angry at God? God, we prayed for a child and we were faithful. And God, you gave us a child that's got health concerns. You gave us a child that has disabilities. You gave us a child that other people may would have aborted. And we were faithful. And I'm angry. And I wanted a spouse and you didn't give me one and I'm angry. And, and I prayed for my, my loved one and, and they didn't make it and I'm angry. Some people get that way. Someone showed me this. My wife showed me this. She was here this morning in the first service. She's gone home with my dad. And, and uh, she said, I gave you that idea for that message. She, she did. She was reading a devotion. She goes, look at this, look at this thought. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. So I took it and my pastor used to say, take, take someone else's skeleton and put your own meat on it. So that's what I did. And in one of her devotions, she kind of got this idea, and I want to give it to you today. Let me show you what I'm talking about in Daniel chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. In Daniel chapter 3, and verse 10, it says, Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, And all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews 
Not all of them, but there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When I was a kid, we used to say Shadrach, Meshach, and into bed we go. Most people laugh there. They, okay, there you go, Kevin, thanks. It says, lost my spot. Into bed go, O king, have not regarded thee thy servant, not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sack, but psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Now look at this. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Let me stop there for just a second. Wow. What a brazen statement. Who is greater than I? What God could you possibly serve that is greater than I? Wow, what a statement. But you know, a large percentage of Canadians say that. Why don't you worship the God of evolution? What are you, crazy? Don't you believe science? Science knows everything. Science tells us everything. No, this tells us everything. This is the truth. Science came from this. This doesn't come from science. Who do you think you are, king? Thinking you're greater than God. Here's what they say. They go on to say this. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. I'll stop there for just a second. That doesn't mean that they haven't given thought to this. I'll explain this in a minute. When you first read that, it's like, well, that sounds confusing. I'll give it to you in a minute. It says, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. Verse 17, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. I'll stop right there. When we read this story, this is where most of us stop. That's where we stop the thought. We might continue on reading, but that's where we stop the thought. Because we know the end of the story. Once you've heard it, you know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did go into the, the fiery furnace. And the king looked in, and there were three men walking around, and the image of the fourth was like the Son of God. And they come out of the fiery furnace, and their clothes don't even smell like smoke. And their hair is not even singed. We know the story. So their prayer is answered. But we don't know that just yet. We come to this and we stop. Oh God, if God is able to deliver, if God wants to deliver, he's going to deliver us out of the fiery furnace. And we stop there. But I'm going to change your thoughts. I'm going to change your prayer life. I'm going to change the way you think with these next three little words. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 18. Read these three words with me. But if not, everybody read it with me. But 
if not. Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. These words are three words that we don't want to say. These three words are not words that we want to think of in tough situations. These three words are words that that bring almost a fear to us. And these three words may be words that we think maybe show a doubt on our part, but that's not the case here. I want to show you these three words and how they can change you by the example of these three extremely pious Israelis, by the example of three devout believers, by the example of three men who knew and believed in their God and our God. May we be able to say as well, but if not. I believe these three young men thought, number one, we will pray to be progressive. We will pray to be progressive. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make certain that the king knows this is not off the cuff. We're not just throwing this out here. We've thought about this king. We have something for you. We are not careful to answer thee, they said. We have no need to to put thee into any further trouble. We have made up our minds on this subject. And we have an answer that is ready. Be it known unto thee, we will not serve thy gods. Wow, what a stand. Do you know that Canada has more than one God? Do you know that? Multiple gods here. The more people we immigrate into our country, 250,000 immigrants coming to Canada a year. One of the highest populace of immigrants in the world. The more that we bring in, the more gods we bring in. Because they serve other gods. But even amongst our own country folk, over the last 50, 60 years, we have seen a vast swing in what most Canadians believe. I believe because of evolution being taught in our schools. I remember when it came into our school system here. And we used to believe that we went to church, and we used to believe that the Bible said, and I even mentioned this morning, Mrs. Snively used to come to my class when I was in grade three and four at North Public School, and she would teach, which is no longer there anymore, but North Public School, and she would teach us Bible lessons in our school class during the school day. And now today, a large percentage of our country believes in nothing They're agnostic. There may be a God, but he has no rule in my life. You can believe it if you want. And by putting that John and Romans into people's homes, we're hoping to point people back to that God that our our nation once served in greater detail. And so these men say, we're going to serve the God, our God, not your false God. Not your false God. In verse 17, we see the natural prayer of most Christians. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. That is progressive prayer. We want to live and God can deliver us. We're going to move forward. I don't know the age of these men at this time. I know that Daniel was around 90 years of age when he was cast into the lion's den. I don't know the age of these men. I know that they went to Babylon when they were probably in their teen years. And they've been in service to this king now and to this country for a number of years. And all that time they've kept their walk with the Lord. Here's what I pray for our young people that are here today. Here's what I pray for the kids today. Every kid, every teenager, look right here. Look right here. Look right in my eyes. Right here. Look here. Look here. Here's my prayer for you. That what you're hearing today, you will believe for the rest of your life. 
That as you get older and a world tells you that there is no God, this all just happened. It's all just a scientific experiment. I hope that you'll listen to the words of the preacher and believe and believe and believe and believe. And that you'll take it with you your whole life. These, these young men didn't have mom and dad to say, hey, you got to go to church. These young men didn't have mom and dad to say, hey, you're going to Sunday school. They didn't have the Sunday school teacher to say, hey, you're going to sit still and listen in this class. Didn't have that. But they had raised their children. These these boys had been raised by parents who had taught them to love the things of God and stand by the things of God. And while in a foreign country speaking a foreign language uh, with no pressure to obey their God, they still believed in a holy God. Praise God for that. I always tell God in my prayer, Lord, my will, my heart on this matter is for this to happen. When I was a young preacher, I went to the hospital and I used to pray, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would heal. Brother Paul was in the hospital. I pray that you'd heal Brother Paul and raise him up out of this bed. And, you know, I got to a place where I learned that that wasn't the right prayer to pray. Because a lot of times there was a family standing there and they were hoping that the man of God had come to their room and that the man of God, the preacher, had come and had some special relation with the Lord that he would make it so. And Brother Paul, if he had passed away, the family would then say, but preacher, you prayed. And I had to learn to pray this, Heavenly Father, my will, our will, this family's will is that Brother Paul will be raised up out of this bed. But if not, Lord, we'll thank you for what you do in his life. And we'll thank you for the life that you've given to him. Lord, thy will be done. That's what Jesus said. Let this cup pass from me, but thy will be done. Wow. I tell God in my prayer, please supply for me. God, please heal. Heal them. God, protect them. Protect my family. Watch over them. God, spare me from this event. God, bless me in this special way. Those are the prayers that we pray. That's progressive. And there's nothing wrong with praying those kind of prayers. You should pray them. God, I'm trusting I'm moving forward. God, I believe that in your plan you want me to progress. And so we pray that way. And God tells us, you have not because you ask not. So I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask. And then we learn from our three guides. I believe that they thought, number two, we will proceed in the positive. We will proceed in the positive. Notice, if you will, the second part of verse 17. Look at there. It says, and, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. At that moment, they gave proof positive that they believed the God. Now, understand this. These young men followed this king for a number of years. These men rose up in the ranks of leadership of a foreign country. These men obeyed the rules. These men did what the king had asked. But then the king crossed over a line, as many governments do and many political leaders do. We have one of those. Our prime minister said, there will be no religious representation in my government. For the first time of the history of our nation, we have a government controlling our nation that has no religious influence. 
That ought to scare you to death. He's doing it on a wing and a prayer, not even a prayer. We're wearing masks today, most of us. I heard a good joke the other day. It said, I'll believe that your mask is protecting you if you believe that I'm wearing a mask. We got to laugh about it. If we don't, we'll be crying. We're wearing masks. We're social distancing. We are awaiting a vaccine. We're taking every precaution. I've never seen this in my lifetime. Never seen it. 50, I'll be 57 uh, this coming Saturday. Send all your cards, letters, and money to Al Stone, St. Andrew Street in St. Thomas. I've never seen it. Some of our seniors went through the First and Second World War, Vietnam, Korea, all those things, and here we are, we're scared, we're wearing a mask. <laughs> and we're confused, but I'm confused by it. I hear one report, then a different report, another report, and this report. Nobody's got any continuity to it. And our government has said, for the safety of our people, we're asking you to separate, we're asking you to wear a mask, we're asking you to wash your hands, and you know what? I can do that. I mean, I like it. I mean, I agree with some of it, but I'll do that. that. That's not crossing over the line. But if our government said, you're not having church anymore, I will serve God. For a few weeks, we didn't have church together. Remember that? It was terrible. As a preacher, I absolutely hated it. I want the church to gather together. When the doors of the church are open, I want to be there. That was what I was taught as a kid. Whatever event, you be there. You get yourself there. Whatever you got to do. And so for a while, we were told you can't go to church. You got to do it online. And I'm going to be honest with you. Online church is not church for me. Sitting in your pajamas watching church is not church for me. When we were watching online, I got up, I put on a suit and tie and sat on my couch. And I sang the hymns. And I opened my Bible and I said amen to the television. People say, you're wacky. (laughs) Welcome to my world. (laughs) It's great here. I love it in this little circle. (laughs) I want to come together. I want to shake hands. I want to embrace I want to see your face. I want to see your eyes. I want to hear you say amen. I want to see you weep. I want to see you flood the altar and do something for God. And if our government member said you can't meet together again, I would have to defy that government and say I'm going to serve God rather than man. Sometimes governments go too far and this government went too far and these young men said you've crossed the line, King. You've crossed the line, By the restraint, by restraint, these three Hebrew boys served and respected and obeyed the king. I believe their actions perhaps give Christ the reference for Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus often referred to the Old Testament. He often quoted the Old Testament when he spoke. He doesn't necessarily quote here, but I believe this could have been in his thought as he thought of these guys. Hey, listen, don't worry about that king that's going to take your body. You worry about the God who gave you a soul, who's going to keep your soul in eternity. You worry about that. And these three boys do that. They stand strong, knowing the entire time that it was God who was really in control, knowing that it was God that that had them there, knowing it was his will they lived for and, if needs be, would die for this. Obey them that have the rule over you, but that rule should not cross over or usurp that which is God's alone. If they do, then we must utter as Peter, we ought to obey God rather than men. O king, we will proceed in the positive. We know God. 
One thing I love about Daniel says he knew his God. Do you know your God? That's the problem with a lot of Christians today. We don't know God. I'm going to be very honest with you, very transparent today. Growing up as a kid in this church, we were told a lot. You got to look right. You got to sound right. You got to be right. And we got that and we did that and it was good. But there comes a time in our lives when looking right and doing right is not enough. You got to know God. You got to know God. My kids gave me a great example. They went to Bible college and, and they said, Dad, you'd be surprised at the number of kids that come to this Bible college that drink and some that do drugs and some that sneak off and, and have relations with each other for the sake of children. And I said, oh, you mean like bus kids? And they said, no, Dad, preacher's kids, missionary's kids. I'm in a good college, a college you know. And I said, what are you talking about? And they said, Dad, here's the deal. Growing up, your Sunday school teacher was part of your Holy Spirit. Let me start earlier than that. Your parents. Your parents would say, you're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. And you obeyed because they're your parents. And if you didn't, in my day, you got spanking. So you obeyed. Then you go to Sunday school. Sunday school teaches, you don't do this, this, or this because this is what the Bible says. Then, then you go to uh, youth class and your youth pastor says, you don't hang around with these people. You don't listen to that music. You don't go to that party. You don't do those things. And this, that's part of the Holy Spirit. And then the pastor gets up and, man, he's, this is what the word of God says. You better believe it. And, man, our preacher, if, if you didn't do it, buddy, you knew. You knew you were going to face the wrath. You need to obey God. And that was part of the Holy Spirit. And then you go off to Bible college with no parents, no Sunday school teacher, no youth pastor, and no pastor. And you have a few professors to kind of watch over you. And then you get out into the world. And if you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, if you've not made the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit in your life, you become uh, acquainted with all of these opportunities for sin. And you don't have anybody to restrain you from those things. And that's why I believe a lot of our younger people have swayed away from what we believe in and stopped going to church. And maybe go to another easier church. And partake of the things of this world. Because they didn't get the relationship with the Holy Spirit. And as a pastor, I have to take some responsibility for that in some people's lives. I should have preached that more. I should emphasize that more. And so these men, the help of the Holy Spirit, say our God is in control. And we believe by faith that he will deliver us with a power greater than yours, King and then they utter these immortal, life-changing words in verse 18. Look there with me. The first three words of verse 18. Say them with me nice and loud. Here we go. But if not. We believe in God. We believe he has the power. We believe he's in control. We believe he knows what's happening. And he is going to deliver us if he wishes to. But if not. That's okay. That's okay. And here's the problem with us. We never want to get to, well, it's okay. We just want it good. We want it easy. We want everything to flow. We want everything to be hunky-dory. We want everything to be smooth sailing. But that's not real life. Because there's problems in life. And there's difficulties in life. And there's a brevity to life. But if not. You know what made these guys great? Three words. We believe in our God, but if God chooses something different 
that's okay. Because here's what's going to happen. If you throw a snap fiery furnace, by the example of those that were tossed in afterwards, died before they hit the flame, it was so hot. You throw us in that fiery furnace, we're going to be incinerated. And you know what? Our soul is going to be set free from this body. And we're going to spend eternity in the presence of our God. King, it's okay if you kill us. Because all you're going to do is set us free from the rest of this life. Wow. If we can get there, if you can grab hold of that, if you can, if you can grasp that little thought, you're going to change your life and your prayer life forever. Oh God, I want to get rid of this cancer. But if not... Let me live this life for you. Oh, God, I want to get rid of this hardship in my life. But if not, hey, it works. Let's, let's try it, shall we? Let's try it. I'll say the phrase, you answer in those three words. I need every person nice and loud to say, but if not, at the end of this phrase. Number one, here we go. God, I want to be healed. How about this one? God, please supply this. Very good. God, give me this job. How about this one? God, end this pandemic. What if not? I've had some doctors tell me that it could be almost two years before we're to a point where this thing's really under control. Two years. I am going to lose my mind. If we can't have church for two years, the way we used to have church. I'm going to lose my mind if I have to wear that mask for two years. I got it with me, always ready. My new best friend. Oh, protect me. God, please get rid of this pandemic. But if not, help me to live through it like a Christian. Help me to be kind. Help me to be a better witness than I've ever been. You know what, folks? You know what I'm really mad about in this pandemic? We're not seeing revival. Why aren't we seeing revival? We have a nation that is scared to death. We have people that are petrified they're going to get a germ. We have people that are out of their minds. Uh, they, they tell us that the suicide rates are rising, that people's mental health is out of control. Why aren't we telling people about Jesus? Why aren't we witnessing like we've never witnessed before? You know what, folks? I'm wearing a mask for your protection, but i got to tell you, I don't believe I really need that because if I get COVID and I die, it's okay. I want to be saved, but if not, I don't want to get COVID, but if not, it's okay because I'm going to die and I'm going to go to heaven. I've been listening to a great song. It's called, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. Right? There's only two ways to heaven, folks. If you're saved, there's only two ways. You're either going to die or you're going to go in the rapture. We all want to go in the rapture, don't we? I got to tell you, some of you aren't going to make it. I may not make it. I pray it's today. I believe God has given us a reveal of what the end times are going to be in that time of tribulation when everybody bows down and obeys the government and everybody takes the mark and does all of that stuff. I think we can see how easy it could happen. The whole world has caved to this thing. It's exciting to me to think, hey, we must be getting close to the end. But if not, we'll carry on. But if not, we'll keep preaching. But if not, we'll keep sending out John and Romans. But if not, we'll keep having church. But if not, we'll tell people about Jesus and hopefully they'll get saved. Now let me ask you, what are you praying for today? And are you prepared to say, but if not? I dare say that every person in this auditorium today has been praying for something. A loved one, a personal need. A job, some finances, health. 
You've been praying about something and you haven't seen the answer that you've been looking for yet. Let me ask you, what are you praying for? And are you prepared to say, but if not, I'd like to invite you to do this today. I'd like to set some of you free with just three words. I invite you, every single person in this place, man, woman, child, teenager, single, married, healthy and, healthy and weak. Every single person in this place to take God, your need today, your request, your hope, your progressive prayer. Lord, here's what I'm hoping today. Here's what I'm praying for today. The Bible says you have not because you asked not. I'm asking you today. I'm pleading with you today. This is my heart. This is my desire. God, this is what I want. And then in that prayer, I want you to conclude with this. But if not, but if not, but if not, it's okay, Lord. I'm good with that. I trust you. You've brought me this far, and you've given me all I've got. But if not, it's okay. I want to do something this morning that's a little bit different because of the whole COVID thing and some of the concerns that we have. I want to invite you to come to the altar today. It's been it's been cleaned. Nobody came to the first service, but it's been cleaned. It's ready. It's open for you. And you can come and pray this morning. I invite you to come pray. I like to pray at the altar. I think it's good. I think it's good for us to do that. We don't do enough of it anymore. People have kind of gotten away from that. I'm kind of saddened by that. I remember the days when this was packed full and people sitting in the front pew. Great days. But maybe this way you say, well, I'm just a little timid about that. I'm not really used to that. That's not something I'm used to. Would you do this for me? In a moment, we're going to stand to pray. I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to pray right where you're standing. I'm going to give you an opportunity as we stand. If you want to come forward, you can. If you want to stay in your pew, you can. I'm going to have you pray. And when you're done praying, then you're going to be seated. When you finish praying, some people will sit after a few moments. Some will sit after a few minutes. Some may stay in 5, 10. I've seen people stand and pray for 15 minutes. And when you're done praying, you'll be seated. And as the majority of the crowd sits down, Brother Paul's going to come and he'll finish the invitation out for us. But I want to give you that invitation today. To go to God and say, God, here's my heart. You know I've prayed it. I've prayed it before. But God, I've never prayed it this way. I'm begging you today. Give me what I desire. But if not, Lord, I tell you today, it's okay. Now know this. God might take you to, but if not. He'll find out if you really mean it. These guys went to the fire furnace. They went into the fiery furnace. They endured the fiery furnace. And then they came out. Heavenly Father, today, our heart's desire is this. That you would do and bless and promote every one of us. But God, we know that's not going to be possible because your plan is greater than anything we could ever imagine. I want to live till I'm 90. I want to preach till I'm 89. But if not, give me all the days that I would and make them good days and prosperous days and, 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 and days when people would respond to the preaching. Whatever the prayer is today, God, we pray that you would show very clearly your perfect will. Help us, I pray. And Father, if there's one here that's not saved today, they don't know God today. They don't know how to pray. They don't know who to pray to. I pray that they would come and talk to Brother Paul or myself or Brother Creever or Father, one of these other church members that they would come and say, listen, I just I need some help today. And then we might show them the goodness of Christ and of you, Heavenly Father. 
Help us as we take this time to pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. The piano's going to begin to play. Would you bow your head and begin praying right now? If you'd like to come to the altar, now's your time to step out and come. You're welcome to do that. Come now. Fill this altar this morning. I'd love it if you did. But if not, you stand there and you pray right there. Heavenly Father, here's my heart's desire. Here's my concern, my kids, my spouse, my mom and dad, our church, my country, my neighbors, my boss. God, I pray today, I pray today, my heart. And God, I utter these three words today. But if not, and I accept it, and I'll live it, and I'll trust you. As you pray today, when you finish praying, don't worry about being the first or being too short. That's fine. You go ahead and be seated when you're done praying. Be seated right now. You keep praying as long as you want. Keep standing. I have you stand just so I know where you're at. I don't want to cut anyone off. Let's take the time to pray. As you finish, you be seated. And when the majority of the crowd is done, Brother Paul will come.